You know, when we give them a hand, when we give a word a hand, when we, we're, not, we're not praising the people. What we're doing is thank you for taking the time to set aside your gifts and talents that God has given you and allowing him to work through you so that I can benefit from it. That's what we're saying. And each of us has that ability, whether it's up here or out here, every one of us has gifts and talents and ability that God wants to work through. So I'm excited for the word this morning. We're going to talk about Christmas because tis the season, but my title is to nativity and beyond. And that's nativity, not infinity. So to nativity and beyond. Yeah, I was praying and I love Christmas and I would encourage you, if you read a part of the Christmas story every day and did that on repeat every day till Christmas, there is so much locked in this story. I feel like every time I've read it, and I've read it over and over and over again this entire month, just studying different things out. And I get a new revelation every time. So I'm gonna share a bunch of that with you, but to nativity and beyond. And I want us to take a different look at nativity here. How many of you have a nativity scene at your house, one in your neighborhood, one in your front yard, one on a shelf in your, okay, we have a nativity scene. We're gonna talk about that in a little bit because first of all, it's a lie. They lie to you. Nativity scenes tell you lies about the Bible story. So I'm gonna tell you the truth about the Bible story and then you can just reset your nativity up to be truthful, okay? Um, it's important to be honest. But when we look at nativity, what I want us to look at is not the cute little wooden figures that we set on something. And I don't want us to think about the Bible story where Jesus was born. Nativity actually means the occurrence of one's birth. So you all have a nativity story. So what makes this one different? But what I want us to think about when we talk about this nativity story, the nativity story, is an encounter with Jesus. Because that's really what took place, is it wasn't just a random birth. Or there would be a hundred nativity stories in here. So it wasn't random, but it was an encounter with Jesus. And what we're going to look at is we're going to look at a few people that went to encounter Jesus, and we're going to look at some keys in their life that enabled them to encounter Jesus and some things that would have kept them from encountering Jesus. We're going to look at the nativity scene itself and show that there's so much more than what meets the eye. What actually took place there, what actually was on the scene there, foreshadows who Jesus was going to be, the purpose that he's here, but then also the whole nativity story gives us a part that we get to play going forward because this isn't something that just happened then. This is something that we get to celebrate and live out now. The reason that it's so important for us to be able to give praise and to give worship, I want us to see that we did not have access to God before Jesus came. Do we realize that? Like through a priest once a year. There was no access to encounter Jesus. So when talking about this this morning, this is not, well, everybody gets to pray. We do now. But outside of Jesus coming, there was no access to praise. There was no access to worship. So this is a gift that we've been given to be able to praise who he is and what he has done and still doing on our behalf. And so this is huge, huge, huge. So the first part, or I guess my first point, is going to be broken up into to three parts. We're going to have two nativity, we're going to have at nativity, and we're going to have beyond nativity. So that's going to be the three categories that we're going to look at, and we're going to look at some points in each one of those. So two nativity, we're going to look at four people that went to encounter Jesus. Anybody wanna encounter Jesus? Just me, anybody? Yeah? Okay, we all wanna have an encounter with Jesus. But we wanna look at some points here that these people had an intimate encounter with Jesus and I believe there's some very impactful truths in their lives 
that they walked out that enabled them to do so. Okay, so the first ones that we're gonna look at, and I kind of grouped them together, this is Mary and Joseph. So let's look at both stories here. So let's go to Luke 126 is where we're gonna start. Everybody's awake and ready to go this morning. Basically, if you put a finger in Luke and a finger in Matthew, we're gonna live in those two books all day long. And we're gonna keep flipping back and forth. So by the end of the day, you will know where those two are if you don't know where they're at right now. All right, so 128, it says, Now in the sixth month, an angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will be of no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also the Holy One who was born will be called the Son of God. And then if we skip down to verse 38, Mary says, it says, Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now let's flip over to Matthew. And we're going to look at Matthew 1.18. And I want us to see just some similarities here in this first response to encounter Jesus. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make a public example of her, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you, marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for we, he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took him, his wife, and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Okay, lots of reading there to get us started. But what I want to point out here is when we're looking at encountering Jesus, we see that an angel of the Lord, he brought a word, he brought a promise, he brought something to Mary and to Joseph, correct? Okay, something that they were not planning for. At this point in their lives, they are planning their wedding, they are planning their life, and they did not recognize their need to be pregnant with Jesus, right? That is not something they were believing for. That was not something they were praying for. Is that something you pray for or believe for on a regular basis? Like, especially right before you got married, anybody? No, okay? So this is where they're at in life. They are not praying this out going, could I just, could we just have your son? That'd be great. So they're at a point that they are planning their life. God interrupts on the scene and says, this is what I have for you. Can I want us to pause right there for a minute? 
There's times that we can be planning things and we can think that we are moving right in the correct direction that God has us going. And an interruption presents itself that is nothing that we've ever asked for, that is gonna cause some discomfort, that is gonna cause some change, that is gonna cause some questions and is definitely gonna lose some friends, okay? So this shows up. Does that mean that they were out of God's will? Or does that mean that they were right where they were supposed to be? So maybe this interruption that we're facing, if, if, if we're, again, all of us are gonna fall into a different category, but if we're in a season where we feel like, man, I've really been trying to do everything that I have been created to do. I've tried to be right where God wants me to be, but this thing just appeared. I never saw this coming. I never thought this would be here. Maybe you're right where you're supposed to be and just didn't know what you were missing until God gave it to you. Maybe your honor, maybe your lifestyle, it says that blessed are you, highly favored one. That's what he called Mary. And then the angel says that, that Joseph was a man of, of honor. So we know the kind of people that they had. Okay, even if we just looked, we know nothing. We don't really know much about them. We just know the lineage of Mary, really. God let them be Jesus's parents. Like they had to be pretty decent people, right? So we know that they had to be pretty good people. But if they were right where they were supposed to be doing, right what they were supposed to be doing, and this interruption came, they could have said, no, God, I'm trying to fulfill your will here. That's not going to work for me. They would have missed an encounter with Jesus because they were fulfilling, they were being who God created them to be. But then there's this interruption. Do we acknowledge the interruption and who it's from? Or... Do we see the interruption is just that, an interruption? This can't be, it doesn't make sense. God's already had me going this way. And we can miss it. And we can miss the encounter that God has set up for us with Jesus. And so that point right there is it's our willingness to trust and obey God. Even when it seems like this is an interruption that makes no sense, that's what's gonna lead us to an encounter with Jesus. Mary said, let it be unto me according to your word. And Joseph said, it, well, it didn't say what he said. It said that he got up and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. I also find it humorous that Mary asked questions and Joseph didn't. The angel clearly was not clear with Mary. Joseph asked questions and that's where the book came, what to expect when expecting, because Mary asked questions. So that's where that derived. And then there's Joseph, he asked no questions. He's just like, Got it. Okay, but it amazes me, their response. It didn't say they took time to fast and pray. It didn't say that it took them a season, 12 years of counsel to do what God said to do. So this tells me that they were at a place in their life that they had positioned themselves to be able to recognize the voice of God even when it seemed like this made no sense. Are we in a position in our lives that we're at a place that when God speaks, even when it makes no sense, and we think we're right where we're supposed to be doing, right what we're supposed to be doing, that if God interrupts, that we would recognize his voice and not only recognize it, but the key here is that it says, she said, let it be unto me according to your word. And Joseph did as the angel commanded immediate response because they could recognize God's voice that clearly. How cool. I know, convicting already. It's only point one. It's all right. Point two, 
Let's go on to the shepherds. Okay, so the shepherds, let's go to Luke 2, 8 through 20. So now we know that the shepherds, that they showed up on the manger scene, right? The angel of the Lord appeared to them as well. So we'll read that in 2, 8. And it says, now they were in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you that you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel... A great multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see that this thing has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known, saying that which was told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. Okay, here's the key thing that I like about the shepherds. Well, there's a few key things. Something that would have kept them from encountering Jesus would have been that they're watching sheep. Okay, who's an animal owner? Not a goldfish, an animal that actually takes maintenance. And you can't raise your hand if you have a cat either, because let's just be honest, your cat owns you. You're a pet. <laughs> Sorry, peasants. All right, so if you own something besides a cat or a goldfish, you may now raise your hand. Okay, it takes effort to look after those things, right? Anybody have cows? How many of you go on vacation all the time and leave them to themselves? Point proven, all right. Any sheep owners? Good, good job all. We should applaud, clap for yourselves. Wow, that's excellent. All right, you don't leave when you own cows. Like, it's just that they get out, they wait. And they're like, they're leaving, they're leaving, run through the fence. And they do, okay, you don't leave when there's responsibility, when there's work to be done, when your job consumes you, there's stuff to be done. I have responsibility doing what I'm supposed to do. We don't leave. So when an angel shows up to the shepherds and tells them to go to Bethlehem, okay, what would keep us from encountering God? God, I can't go right now. I know that that's what your word says. I know that that's where I'm supposed to be. I know that's what I'm supposed to be doing, but I just can't right now because I got all this going. So if you'll just let me get this under control, then I'll be there. Not what they said. It did say that they said, let us go see. And then it said that they went with haste. I think that's a key word. Like the Bible doesn't accidentally add words. That they went with haste. So they didn't just kind of go after they got a sitter for the sheep so that they went why because when God presents an opportunity when God shows us and wants to lead us into an encounter and into a place with him he's going to take care of whatever it is we're doing and it's going to be blessed but when we think that I can't do what God has asked me to do or go where God has asked me to go because I've got to take care of this and it will fall apart without me then we're our God not God 
that'll keep us from an encounter with God. The shepherds made haste and they went and encountered. But then here's the cool thing. After they had seen, after they had seen, they didn't just go experience. They didn't just hear about it. The Bible says to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only, right? Sometimes we hear about the great things of God. Sometimes we hear about what God's doing in someone else's life. We hear about what God wants to do in our life. I read the word in the morning. Man, God really wants to do that in my life. It's a promise. Do I make haste and follow it until I see it? Or do I just hear about it? Said that they saw it after they had seen it. That's what this line says right here. It says, let us go see. So they intended that we're not leaving until we see it. And then it says, well, in just a minute, I'll tell you. In verse 17, now when they had seen him, they made widely known all that was told to them concerning the child. When they had seen them, Sometimes I wonder if we don't see the power of God in our lives is because all we do is hear about him. We have the Bible memorized inside and out. We hear about him. We hear about what he does for other people and we repeat that to other people. Notice that the shepherds didn't run to town and say, hey guys, Jesus was born in a manger before they encountered him themselves. And too often we live life as good Christians do and we repeat what the Bible and our pastor says but we can never take anybody there because we haven't actually seen him ourselves. They did not go until they saw him. After they saw him, they told what God said. Why? Because when we encounter Jesus, it changes us. When we encounter Jesus, when I encounter him, I can take you there. When I hear about an encounter, I can't take you there. Best of luck. And we go nowhere. All we do is run around telling people what we've heard about. But then when we've seen it, it makes a difference because then if you go forward, again, words aren't in here by accident. And it says, um, and all those who heard it marveled at those things. And then if we, uh, verse 20, then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and, hmm, not an accidental word, that they had heard and seen. So what would keep us from encountering Jesus? Well, we said one of them was just staying busy. I got to take care of this first because if I leave and do what God's asked me to do, this will fall apart. But then the second thing is that if we just hear about it and never go to encounter it, when we never act on that thing that was told to us, then we'll miss out on encountering Jesus. It'll be, it'll be left. We'll, we'll miss out on that. And then they went and told, which I think is awesome. Let me just make sure I didn't skip anything right there. All right, so, oh yeah. The other thing is that they could have thought, but there's so many people that are probably there to see Jesus that I don't really want to stand in line. And the census was going on and there's a reason they're a shepherd. They didn't want to go to the city. Do you guys go to Denver on Black Friday? No, we stay here. That's why we live out here, okay? They didn't want to go there either. It was like Black Friday in Bethlehem. They didn't want to go. Okay, that was not the place to be. There's lots of people, they're shepherds for a reason. They like solitude. So that could be too. There's, there's too many people God's already ministering to. There's too much God's already doing. I don't wanna be uncomfortable. I'm gonna stay here and surely God will just visit me out here. So we stay out from where God's wanting us to be to encounter him. 
So those are, those are three things that the shepherd did. So they didn't settle with being hearers only, but they went to see for themselves and that's what enabled them to have an encounter with Christ. So don't just hear things. Don't just read your Bible, read it and go see it. God, I'm gonna read this and until I see it, what if you didn't tell anybody else about what God was doing in your life till you saw it for yourself? What if we didn't tell anybody just quote him a scripture because we memorized the scripture, but after we saw it themselves, then we took them there. What if that's what we did? That's what we see the shepherds do. And it says that everyone that heard glorified and praised God. Why? Because someone saw it with their own eyes. There's powerful with, or power in seeing things with our own eyes. All right, the wise men. All right, this is where your nativity scene is a lie. Okay, first of all, the Bible never says three wise men. Just clear that up too. Three gifts, not three wise men. There could have been three. There could have been a hundred. We just don't know. Okay, so when you set up your nativity scene, set Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and all the little cute animals up over here. And then way six months away, set the wise men. However many you will like. Pray about it. Let God give you a number. Okay, that's how you need to set up your nativity scene and then you can explain truth to everybody so we make sure that it's there. So they did come and visit Jesus, but not at the nativity scene. All right, and here's how they got there. Let's look at, told you we're gonna flip back. So we're gonna go to Matthew 2, 1 now. So we're gonna look at the wise men. And it says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes and the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah for out of you shall come a ruler who will be the shepherd to my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men determined from them what time the star appeared, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that they may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. All right. So these guys are from way, 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 way far away. The East, capital E, that could be Persia, that could be Babylon. Theologians can't agree exactly where that is, but somewhere that direction a long way away. How long did it take them? Depends on how many of them it were and which location it was. So anywhere, could have taken a month, could have taken nine, but it was before two years old. That's what we know there. Um, so the wise men come. Okay, that's a long journey for anyone. Even if we went on the shortest of that, and that's 30 days. So you heard a king was born. You heard a king, you, you heard God was doing a thing. You heard God wanted to do something in your life, but it was gonna cost you something. It was gonna take some time. It was gonna take you away from the comfort of home. Maybe it was gonna take you away from some things that were comfortable in your life. It's gonna cost me something to be 
where God has shown me to be, right? I might have to change some things. I might have to make some adjustments. So what would have kept the wise man is, I think that's going to cost too much. I think that's going to require a little more effort than I'm willing to give. I don't necessarily, like, God, I want to live for you, but I didn't say I wanted to go that far. And we can live that way. That I, I want to encounter Jesus, but only if it costs me this much. Only if I don't lose any friends. Only, only if I don't have to give up the things that I like doing, the way that I like talking, the way that I like living. Only if I don't want to give up habits and addictions. Only if I can agree with the parts of the Bible that I really like. That's the part that I want to give so that I can encounter Jesus. As long as it doesn't cost me anything that's valuable to me. Because not only was it costing them time, the other thing that it cost them is they brought very valuable, valuable, valuable gifts with them. So it cost them time, it cost them money to travel, and then it cost them the value of these gifts that they were bringing, right? Okay, so if we want to encounter Jesus, but here's the thing, Jesus isn't saying, give all this up to come and praise me because I think I'm all that. He does think that, but... Um, that's, that's not what he's saying for us. Is he's saying, what you don't understand is those things are going to return to dust. What I want to you to encounter me for is because I want you to encounter life that you didn't know was accessible. I want you to encounter a king that you had no clue existed. I need you to know that those things you're letting go, those are rubbish. Paul says, I count it all as rubbish that I may gain Christ. And so when we put limits on what we're able to offer God, what lifestyle I'm willing to live for God, how far I'm willing to go for God, it may be uncomfortable, it may be lonely, it may cost me something, but when I say I'm gonna put a limit on that, it'll keep me from truly encountering Jesus because Jesus wants to encounter all of us, not part of us. He didn't die for part of me. He died for all of me. And part of him didn't die for me. All of him died for me because he has something to offer that we can't get any other way. So he has something that he wants to give. So that could be something that would cost us. The other thing that I find interesting is that they went to the palace where they thought the king would be. Also, again, words are not put in here on accident. I find it interesting that when Herod told them this, says that they, they came to find a king and they went to, they, or not Herod went, the wise men went to Herod. They went to find the king and they realized he's not in Jerusalem, right? Look at the news that was broke here. Not only was he not where they thought he would be, but much farther. So when we think the promise and what God said is where we think it should be and it's not, do we keep going or do we stay there? Or do we turn around and go home? So that's one thing. Here's the other thing I find very interesting. Up until this point, the wise men weren't told it was a child. Hmm. So now this king that I have spent all of this time coming to see, A, is a child, and B, he's not where I thought he'd be. So the answer that I've been seeking, that thing that God put in my heart, that thing that God told me to do, that thing that was spoke to me, is now not where I thought it would be and it's not what I thought it would look like. What now? What now? Do we still go? Do we still go and worship? Or do we stop there? What do we do? That'll keep us from encountering Jesus. 
if we stop short because the promise, I don't know, that's not what I thought it would look like. That's not where I thought that this was going. Like when God said that this was what I was going to do with life, that's not what I pictured. So do we quit? Or do we keep on? Because look what the wise men did. It says in verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. They haven't even seen him yet. But because they know it's still there, it might not be what I thought it would be. It might not be where I thought it would be. It might not look like what I thought it would look like, but it's still there, which means I can still access it, which means I can still see the fullness of what God put in my heart to see. And I'm gonna keep going. And it said with exceedingly great joy. And then it says that they fell down and worshiped him. They fell down and worshiped him. We talked about worship here at the beginning just a little bit, but I, I want us to put this picture in our head. In the Old Testament, it refers to these guys as kings. In the New Testament, we see them as wise men or magi. Okay, these are upper class citizens. Upper class citizens. Jesus is a child under two. We don't know how old he's under two. How many of us don't want to lift our hands to honor God in church or at home? And it says that these men fell down and worshiped a toddler. A toddler. Why? Because they knew the value. They knew the value of the king that he was. And they worshiped him as they would any other king. How many things in our life do we worship, do we praise, and do we cheer? But when it comes to God, it's embarrassing. It's uncomfortable. It's a struggle. Maybe pride sets in. Because to fall down and worship an infant a toddler in front of other human beings, that takes some humility. So what took them to an encounter with Jesus is not only the cost that they were willing to pay, but it was the humility of how they worshiped. That because there's so much value on who I give my worship to, I don't care what it looks like and I don't care what everyone else thinks. I don't care what everyone says about how I'm living my life because I'm gonna live it to worship my king and I'm gonna live it to worship who he is. And that's what they saw. And that's what brought them to an encounter with Jesus. It's pretty cool, right? So there's one more I wanna talk about, but it's the guy that didn't get to encounter Jesus. Remember King Herod? So King Herod, well, let me say one more thing about the wise men. Not only did they get to encounter Jesus, they got a deeper encounter with God. Up until this point, they followed a star that led them to the palace, that led them to more directions of where to go to find Jesus, right? So they had followed a star and heard the voice of a man. When we finish the story, it says that they were divinely warned in a dream that they should not go to Herod. I want us to see the deeper encounter that they were led into because they encountered Jesus. Look at the deeper encounter on the other side that warned them how to go different and where to go different. There was something deeper waiting on the other side of their encounter with Jesus. I just want to point that out before we move on. Now, Herod. Herod didn't get to encounter Jesus. And I want us to look and see why. King Herod, this is Herod the Great. So you look history-wise, Herod the Great. This is when this took place. He's called Herod the Great because he named himself that. True story, okay? 
So Herod the Great, because he named himself that. So we already see that he might have just a slight issue with pride. Okay, he has a son and they said, the people would chant, Herod the Great and his son the Greater. He killed him. Couldn't be greater than him. Okay, he exiled every one of his wives and then killed them. He's a peachy guy, okay? This is the kind of guy he is. He hears that there's another king and he wants to kill him. But what does he tell the wise men? He says, will you tell me where he is so that I could go worship him? So that I could go worship him. What is he saying? Is he saying, I wanna sabotage the thing that's taken the focus from me. And in our lives, how many times do we wanna sabotage the thing that takes focus from ourselves? We wanna sabotage the thing that's making me uncomfortable. I wanna sabotage the thing that would cost my flesh to have to say no. So if it's staying pure across that line, I just, nope, I'm good over here because that would cost me my flesh. So I'm gonna sabotage that. I'll sabotage my relationship with God in order to keep these friends. I'll sabotage my relationship here because I wanna keep these habits. I'm gonna sabotage. So we're gonna kill the thing in order to appease ourselves. That's what King Herod was. He was jealous, 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 prideful, and so self-ambitious and prideful in himself that he would sabotage the king that the wise men came to worship, the king of kings, that I would want to sabotage that in my life in order to keep myself, my appearance, and how I feel about myself great. We'll miss out on an encounter with Jesus when we allow pride, when we allow jealousy, when we allow compromise, when we allow those things in our lives that I don't have to put my flesh aside when we allow pride and, and jealousy of even people around us, it'll keep us from an encounter with Jesus because we're more concerned about ourselves than we are Jesus anyway. And in false worship, just as Herod did, I wanna worship God. No, you wanna worship God your way, in a way that makes you feel comfortable. You wanna worship God in a lifestyle that makes you feel comfortable, not in a way that God's word says. And so it's a false worship and it keeps us from an encounter with Christ. So that's Herod, so that is the travel to the nativity. I wanna say one more thing as we wrap up travel to nativity, we see that every single one of them had to respond to what God said. There had to be action to it, right? Here's the other thing that I think is really interesting. They were all seeking something. They were all seeking something. We're all seeking something. They all found it in the same source and that was Jesus. So there's something, there's things that we seek. Maybe it's identity, maybe it's peace, maybe it's comfort, maybe it's joy, maybe we don't know what that is, but we're seeking something. They all found it in Jesus. And the answer is the exact same for us as we find every answer we could ever need when we're singing the name of Jesus in that second to last song. Good job, guys. It was awesome. Um, but in that last song, when we think, when we know what is withheld in the name of Jesus, and the power that's in there, guys, every answer to anything we could ever need, that if we would seek it in Jesus, we would find more than what we're looking for. That we would seek it in Jesus. It's cool to me that when the angel told Mary what was gonna take place, they, the angel talked, they, he said he was the son of God, and he said that his kingdom would reign forever. But he was presented as the son of God. When he was 
told to Joseph, it said that he would be the son of God, but then it also said that he would save the people. That wasn't mentioned when he told Mary. But then when he told the shepherds, he presented him as savior. But then the wise men were seeking a king. Never said savior, never said son of God. You see the different attributes in Jesus that each of them were seeking and even was presented to them. God met every single one of those people where they were in order to set them up to give them the option to encounter Jesus. God's going to meet us where we're at and he's gonna give us the ability and the direction and the guidance and the wisdom that we need to encounter Jesus, but we have to act on it. But it'll be the exact thing that we are seeking in here. When the angel shows up and says, do not be afraid, he obviously knew what they were feeling. God knows that. When God shows up on the scene, he knows where we're at and he's gonna speak to the things that are contrary to him and show us how to get to him. And that's where he wants to lead us. It's incredible to me. All right, so let's look at the nativity scene really quick. And this won't take too long. There's just kind of some fun facts that I think are neat when we look at this scene because sometimes we just see, oh, it's a cute Christmas story. I want us to see what it foreshadows. And I was, we were actually at Conquer and I told my mom, oh my gosh, Jesus' whole life is foreshadowed in, in just looking at the nativity scene. And so here's what's neat to me. Let's just step through these really quick. So first of all, there was the presence of a promise. 700 years before Jesus came to earth, it was prophesied that he was gonna be there. Okay, so there's the presence of a promise. So in the nativity, when we see this, I want us to see and know. So I want us to look at our nativity scenes different. When we see a nativity scene, first of all, I wanna see that's a place to encounter Jesus. Second of all, I want us to look and say, that's a promise that God fulfills his promises. What he told to Mary came. What he said 700 years before happened. People saw it with their own eyes. It was there. So there's the presence of a promise. Okay, the next thing that takes place is that it says that they wrapped him in swaddling clothing. Swaddling clothing was actually strips of cloth and, the, and they would carry strips of cloth because they would often find dead people just out on the road. Well, you couldn't touch dead people. It was a, it was a bad thing. And so they would wrap them in these strips of cloth so then they could take them back to town to be buried. And so it represented, it was burial clothes. Then the other thing was that then mothers who were going to give birth would also carry these strips of cloth because they would often, them or child, would often die in childbirth. And so there again, you would have to have these swaddling clothes in order in case something died that you would be able to wrap it and not touch it. So they're burial cloths, okay? So first of all, if Jesus is wrapped in burial clothes, what does that tell us? Foreshadowing what's to come. So not only is he there, but now it's foreshadowing something that's to come. Okay, so that's just the swaddling clothes. Then we look at the gifts that the wise men bring these were gifts typical to bring to any king, but how they foreshadowed the life of Jesus is incredible to me. They brought gold, they brought frankincense, and they brought myrrh, okay? Myrrh was used for burial. When you study these out, it represents the death, the burial, and the resurrection. The gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. The gold also represents kingship. The frankincense often used, that the priests would use, the incense, in the tabernacle, okay, so that represents his priesthood. 
So we see Jesus as king represented. We see Jesus as priest represented. We see his death represented. We see the death, burial, and resurrection of him to be the king of kings. We see all of that represented between the gifts and the swaddling clothes. The other thing I find interesting is then it says that there were wise men here. First of all, they came to serve a king. So we see Jesus as king, not as toddler. We see him as king. So when you look at your nativity scene, you go, it foreshadows what Jesus was going to do for me, but it foreshadows who he is to me, and that's my king. And these guys are known as kings, and they were presents. There was the presence of a king. The other thing is the shepherds came. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. So now there's shepherds on the scene. Jesus then, so then we look at our picture, and we see, when you look at your nativity scene, we see Jesus as a king. We see the sacrifice that he's going to make for me. We see the promise fulfilled that God had said, and we see him as our good shepherd all in our nativity scene. Isn't that cool? Just kind of quick fun fact that we see the fullness of what God did on our behalf. So now if we jump forward and we're going to look at what does this actually mean for me going forward when we go beyond nativity, what does this mean? Oh, one more thing at the nativity scene. Sorry. The wise men, as theologians have studied and studied, they, they have said that they were actually Gentiles, not Jews. So now also we see the presence of a Gentile, the shepherds, we see the presence of a Jew. The people, God said that all people, all men would come to know the knowledge of him. And then Paul, it says that multiple times, Paul says for the Jews and the Gentiles, I will preach to the Jews and the Gentiles. So now it shows that Jesus came to reach all people, which means we're included in that scene as well. Isn't that so cool? So we see the presence of who Jesus came to reach, who he came to be, the promise of who he is, and what he was going to do on our behalf, all in a nativity scene. So we should see Christmas entirely different, that this took place for me, for all men. So we see from different social status, these were the upper guys, the wise men, they're these upper class people but they were Gentiles. We see shepherds that were generally the lower class in Jewish society, but they were Jews. And then we see Jesus the King. So we see that all people were created to encounter him. All people are invited to encounter him. So what does this mean beyond nativity for me? When we look at our nativity scene, I want us to look and go, I'm invited to encounter Jesus. I'm invited to encounter Jesus. And I know how I can get there but I have to act on it. And not only am I invited to encounter him, but I'm gonna go until I see it for myself. That's how I'm gonna go.